Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius. Because there will be a world without us. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast about death where my brother and I answer your questions, give you dubious advice, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. And it feels like forever since I last podcasted, John, but there's so much news from AFC Wimbledon. So much news from AFC Wimbledon. Hank, I am exhausted because as I speak to you, uh, I have just gotten home uh, from our amazing trip to Wembley. Our dad was there, Rosiana was there, Meredith, who edits the uh, Wimbley Wombly's uh, games that uh, we used to sponsor, AFC Wimbledon was there. It was an amazing, amazing day at Wembley. 57,000 people uh, in the stadium to watch Plymouth Argyle take on AFC Wimbledon for a spot in the third tier of English football. AFC Wimbledon with the smallest stadium in the fourth tier of English football, one of the smallest playing budgets. It was just an amazing day, Hank. 22,000 AFC Wimbledon fans were there. Uh, They were wearing DFTBA on the back of their shorts at England's National Stadium after a tense, scoreless first half. In the second half, 15 minutes in, Lyle Taylor, that man Lyle Taylor, the Messi from Montserrat, the Montserrat International, just got enough of a touch on a cross to send it into the back of the net. And as it, you know, as the ball like rippled in the back of the net, I thought to myself, he wasn't offside and the ball is in the net. <laughs> so that means that Wimbledon have scored and all around me, everyone was celebrating. And I was just thinking, but how is this possible? <laughs> how did this happen? Yes, there must be something wrong. I had done such a good job of explaining to myself over and over again that just getting to Wembley was an incredible accomplishment for this team. It never really crossed my mind that they might win. And then in the 96th minute, there was an astonishing amount of extra time in the game, Hank. Uh, Adebayo Fenwa scored a penalty to ensure that AFC Wimbledon uh, were going to League One. They won the game. Uh, the team that just not too long ago had like a 5% chance of having a 25% chance of being a third-tier English football team suddenly and unexpectedly has a 100% chance of having a 100% chance of being a third-tier English <laughs> soccer team. Hank, we sponsor a third-tier English soccer team. Our community has uh, now watched AFC Wimbledon get promoted. It's their sixth promotion since the club was reformed in 2002. It's just an incredible story. I'm so grateful to everybody. I went back to Kings Meadow after the game, Hank, and uh, I want to say thanks to the AFC Wimbledon supporters who sang my name. Nothing has ever made me happier. Um, but I got to also say all the players um, went out and, and hung out with the fans after the game because they understand that it is the fans who own this team. And uh, it was an amazing thing to hang out with the captain, Barry Fuller, Autobio Akinfenwa. Um, it was just, uh, it was amazing. It was just 
what it what a crazy day i'm so glad that i went i'm sorry you weren't there but it was it was wonderful and i assume that there is more news from afc wimbledon to come later because you just i feel like you just gave all the news from afc wimbledon already oh no 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 that's just the beginning of the uh, the news okay. from afc wimbledon well we'll get um, to that just, at the end of the epi- yes at the end of how the are you i'm sorry you're just back from tour how was tour Tour was great. I uh, am so happy that I did it. We saw so many Dear Hank and John listeners. Uh, people were very excited every time I mentioned the podcast on stage. They are big fans of the pod, John. We got, we got, the, this is a, this is a thing and people love it. And I'm so happy. I'm so happy that you like it. You people of the world, share it with all your friends. I also met many fans of the pod when I was at Wembley. People kept coming up to me and uh, saying they enjoyed the podcast and it was great. It was so fun. Thanks to everybody who listens and thanks to everybody who supports us on Patreon. Um, we don't like to talk about how this podcast is properly sponsored, but it is sponsored in truth by our viewers. Uh, so thanks to all of you. I hope you enjoy the monthly Google Hangouts that we do. Uh, but also, we just want to say that we really appreciate you supporting the podcast. But thanks to everybody who listens. And also, you can head over to the Patreon if you want for things like pictures of Tuggle, the cookie jar <laughs> that it turns out Hank did not destroy. I did not destroy. Thanks also to mom for being on the pod. John, do you have a short poem for us? I do have a short poem, Hank. It's uh, Now Let No Charitable Hope by Eleanor Morton Wiley, an American poet from the sort of late 19th, early 20th century. Now let no charitable hope confuse my mind with images of eagle and of antelope. I am by nature none of these. I was, being human, born alone. I am, being woman, hard beset. I lived by squeezing from a stone what little nourishment I get. In masks outrageous and austere, the years go by in single file. But none has merited my fear, and none has quite escaped my smile. Eleanor Morton Wiley with Now Let No Charitable Hope. I love that idea that uh, no year has quite merited her fear, and none has quite escaped her smile. There's a little bit of hope in that poem, and I'm just feeling very hopeful right now because I have been reminded that occasionally improbable wonders do befall us. All right. Well, thank. congratulations on having an improbable wonder befall you, John. Uh, just put that on a T-shirt, and it'll be great. <laughs> All right. Let's get to some questions from our listeners. Okay. I've got one. This one is from Riley, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I'm a graduate student studying agricultural chemistry, and earlier today I was delighted to find out that I got a grant which will allow me to do a study about greenhouse gas emissions from manure. Shortly after, I was walking across the quad when a bird defecated right onto my head. According to the internet, a bird pooping on your head is considered good luck. Now, I am not generally superstitious, but considering the poopy coincidence, can I interpret this as a good omen for my research to come? Or am I just trying to make the best out of a crappy situation? <laughs> Thanks for the question, Riley. Oh, Riley, I appreciate your pun. Um, no, it is not good luck to have a bird poop on you, um, in my opinion. Says you! No, I don't think it's good luck. Well, I, well it's for, first, I think maybe it's good luck, but the bird was just late. Mm, interesting and, theory. And uh, the good luck it was retroactive with regard to the grant that was already given. Um, but then additionally... Uh, I think that pretending like bad things happening to you, bad things that you cannot control and that are are not caused by anything but mere coincidence, like just bird poop, it's good to imagine that they're good even, since they are objectively bad, but you can't avoid them. It's a thing that's going to happen sometimes. Uh, yeah, I guess I just don't want to become too dependent on like looking to the heavens for omens because I think that's a bit of a dangerous business because you then you start to see bad ones. And that becomes a kind of self-defeating thing. So I try to avoid that, but I don't always succeed. Also, if you're looking to the heavens for omens, yeah. like literally, you might get pooped in the eye. Yeah, that's bad. You got you to gotta make sure that you keep your head level so that the poop falls on a you know more pervy, a more impervious surface. I got pooped on recently by a bird. Uh, I was having coffee and it pooped right on my hand and the in the the hand I was holding my coffee mm. in. But not in the coffee. And I felt like that was I felt like that was a nice coincidence that it was just on my hand and not in my coffee. So in summary, our advice in this situation, Riley, is under no circumstances should you ever look at the sky. 
You should just assume that it is up there, no. but never look at it because there is a small chance, but a very real chance that a bird will poop into your eye. And that would be bad luck. Bad luck. Sky poop. Sky poop is bad. Okay, we have another question. This one comes from Cass, who writes, Dear Brothers Green. Good try, Cass, but no. She writes, Dear John and Hank, my <laughs> girlfriend and I have a long debate going, and we're going to need you to clear something up. What is the best way to eat an Oreo? I am a fan of dunking it in milk roughly halfway, letting it sit for a couple of seconds, then eating the cookie. And when I've had my fill, then drinking the milk. She thinks that you have to drop the cookie into the cup of milk, let it sit at the bottom, and drink the milk until you find your soggy Oreo. <laughs> okay, Cass. Hank, I think we can agree that neither no, of these ways we, is the best way to eat cannot, an Oreo. We cannot, and I throw my pen on the ground in distaste, and we can say, what we can say is that there is no wrong way to eat an Oreo. Unless all Oreos are bad. I don't know. Maybe they are. They're not great for you, um, but uh, I don't think they're like high in vitamin A or anything. But I would argue, okay, there is no wrong way to eat an Oreo. You and your girlfriend should probably stop fighting about this, etc., etc. But in fact, can I tell you the way that I eat an Oreo? Yes, please. What I do is I dip it about halfway in water which is exactly like ah! dipping it in milk, but without any of the grossness of milk. Ah! It's the same way I eat cereal. Ah! Ah! What noise? Why are you making that noise? Because I hate you. Why? That's Oh, I thought there was no wrong way to eat an Oreo. <laughs> okay, John. There's no wrong way to eat an Oreo. Next time, you just dip it in some hydrogen sulfide. <laughs> oh, geez. There's nothing wrong with dipping your Oreo in water. It gives you all the moisture that milk does without any of the gross milkness. Okay. Well, what the, I'm just going to have a final say on Oreos here. I'm going to ignore you completely and say that the wonderful thing about Oreos is that there are many different ways to enjoy them. You can break them open and lick the cream out. You can dunk. You can not dunk. And all of the ways have their own benefits. And that's the thing that I like about Oreos and the reason why I don't allow them in my house because I will eat the whole package in uh, one or two days because I have no self-control. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the same boat, actually. I have to be very careful about what I bring into my home <laughs> because I will oh, eat yeah. it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, I have not purchased an Oreo in a decade, maybe. But I do eat them whenever I'm at a friend's house and they have them. Yeah, I love to dunk a good Oreo in water when I'm at a friend's house as well. Um, let's ask another question, Hank. This one comes from Tanme in India, who has a fantastic question. She writes, Dear John and Hank, I saw Hank's MySpace profile, myspace.com slash WHGreen, uh -oh. and I observed that John was not on Hank's top eight. Why is that? Uh, 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 uh. Uh, this is apparently the episode of Dear Hank and John where Hank stops communicating <laughs> in traditional English words <laughs> and only uses sounds. I'm looking I'm looking at my oh here's my top 8. Ooh, ooh, wow. I just clicked on something and I saw a, a human butt. Uh Dan <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome to the new MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at my top 8 right now. And these are all real friends of mine. Yeah. Your wife's there. Except for that person. Who is that? Well, I don't know who that is. Who, I remember that person's name, but anyway. Yes, my wife is there, and a bunch of friends, and also the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. So, I was more of a friend with a wildlife refuge than I was with you. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the answer to that question is that back when Hank and I last updated our MySpaces, which for me was, I think, in 2006. Um, yeah. Back then, we were not as close as we are now. So I probably wasn't one of Hank's top eight friends. D Hank, do you remember that song by Molly Lewis about MySpace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hope that you forget about your MySpace. I hope it slips completely from your mind. It, and I it, hope it stays up long enough for the next generation to find... Yeah, that one. That song has become so hilariously prophetic. We have all forgotten yes. about our MySpaces. In fact, we have lots of young listeners who right now are asking themselves, what is a MySpace? A MySpace is uh, what a Facebook was before 
regular uh, non-college and high school students could access Facebook. And MySpace was a huge, huge deal. And now it has become a sort of strange uh, library of American life in the years 2004 to 2006. Well, I mean, it's changed so much that it doesn't really look like what it used to look like at all. Um, I have like seven pictures on my MySpace. Four of them are just of me. And one of them is of Catherine. And there's like three people in my MySpace pictures who are not me. (laughs) (laughs) That's weird. Yeah, I know it has changed a lot, but it is, it it does still serve as a... um, as a kind of library. I'm actually looking at my MySpace now, and I must have updated it in 2007 at the latest because okay. it has a copy of Paper Towns on it. Um, but yeah, most of my pictures, there's some from my honeymoon. There's one of Paige yep. Railstone, so I mm-hmm. guess we used it during the Vlogbrothers era. And then there's my first author photo and a picture of me feeding an iguana on my honeymoon. Um, so it was in that era when I was you know, going on honeymoons which does seem to be to me in the distant, distant past. <laughs> All right. Well, I am now on the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge's MySpace, so we're going to have to move on to the next question, lest we spend the entire the entire episode just... Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to fall all the way down a rabbit hole. Hold yeah, on. I agree. So here is another question. This one's from Lizzie, who asks, Dear Hank and John, shouldn't gravy boats be called gravy baths, as the gravy mm. is inside of it? I like that we're really focusing on the hard-hitting, difficult question uh, today, Hank. We'll get there. We'll get to the, some harder uh, ones, John. I think we'll get to some I, harder ones. I have I have strong opinions on this. If you I don't. do have a strong opinion, but I suspect that your strong opinion is that gravy boat is the wrong word, and we should start using gravy bath. Whereas I actually really like gravy boat. I I also I agree with you. I agree with you because gravy boats are. The gravy is the passenger in the gravy boat, That's and right. it is it is sailing in the ocean of Thanksgiving dinner. That's right. So it is it is a sail on the ship of your dining room table, <laughs> and the gravy is the passenger. Yes, the the uh, the water in this in this metaphor is the just the ethereal nature of the feast that you are that you are consuming. It's beautiful, Hank. Just the the sort of yes. I, things are like other things, You missed John. your calling by not being a poet. Things are like other things is one of the <laughs> best poems I've ever heard in my entire life. It's it's a simile, but it's also a metaphor. It's got a lot going for it. I actually think I might get a things are it's like a, other things tattoo someday. <laughs> it's a, a, I have to say that I stole that joke from Twitter, uh, and I don't know who, twi- who tweeted it. I just saw it on Tumblr, and it, the, the tweet was, yes, we get it, poets. Things are like other things. Oh, I'm glad that you acknowledge having stolen that joke, which, I mean, it's it would have been perfectly plausible to me that two people thought of that same joke, um, but I appreciate your honesty. <laughs> All right. So I feel like you want a, a more difficult question, John. If you have one. Uh, yeah, I have I have real questions here. Um, here. No, that's a real question, the, the gravy boat versus gravy bath issue, but I think let's try, can we delve deeper into the human experience is my question. All right, yes. This question is from Eva, who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have a chronic illness, arthritis, and I have great meds, so my symptoms are under control, but I still go to the doctor twice a year to keep track of it. I was 13 when I was diagnosed, which meant that my parents came to the doctor with me. So a few days before my appointment this week, I was reminding my dad of the visit, and my sister was surprised that I wanted him there since I'm 18 now. Is that weird? Is there an age when which you should go to the doctor alone? My dad still handles my prescriptions because it's complicated and there's money involved, but in addition to that, I like having him there. He's a smart guy. At which point am I expected to go to the doctor by myself? Well, I think this is another thing where adulthood is a process, not an event, or if there are events in it, they they sort of only appear to you in retrospect. But I definitely don't think you need to uh, stop having your dad go to the doctor with you the day you turn 18 if you find it useful for him to be there. Yeah, I think that it is a I think that it, there is a number a, a, a large amount of information transfer that continues uh, from parents to children uh, forever and uh, and and having that be having like creating systems for that to to happen is great and your doctor your, your dad has been to the doctor more times than you have and it knows how that works and it's often good to have two sets of ears in a doctor's office so that you remember things more better uh, and if you don't have that then it's always also good to maybe take a piece of paper and a pen or take notes um, but yeah I I yeah I think that 
there will be a time when you will head out and be doing that sort of thing on your own. Um, and getting comfortable with that is a part of life. Yeah, but there's no there's no particular hurry. No, absolutely you know, I, not. You hear a lot about how adolescence is like being extended and people aren't, you know, diving headfirst into adulthood the way that they used to or whatever. And I think that is a big load of hooey. Um, we have always had uh, a kind of slow process through which uh, adults become adults. It has never been instantaneous. It has never been the day of your bar mitzvah or the day you turn 18 or any of that. Um, And I think that I totally agree with you that there is this, you know, transferal between children and their parents that should last as long as it can last because I think it's very useful. Absolutely. That said, at this point, I don't think that I'd want my dad going to the doctor with me. No, um, not unless it was... Uh, although, you know, actually, it wouldn't it, be that I, I bad. Think it's, Depends on which doctor. Especially if it was something that, like, that I hadn't gone through before, but dad had. Like, you know, like, our our dad had cancer, and if I had cancer, I might be like, hey, I wouldn't mind having my dad there since he's been through this before. Maybe, like, maybe that would be a useful thing to have. All right, Hank, here's another question. This one comes from Andrea, who asks, Dear John and Hank, I recently graduated from college with my bachelor's in education, and I got a job as a lead teacher at a Head Start Center. I love my job, my kids, and the mission of the program, but sometimes I find my family asking when I am going to get a job at a, quote, real school. It's true the pay isn't as great as it would be at a public or private school, but I'm single and I can afford my lifestyle so far, and plus there are more things involved than just money. How can I stay affirmed in my choice of career and tune out those people in my life who don't think of preschool teachers as real teachers? Well, Andrea, I have uh, two preschool-aged children, and uh, let me tell you that in my opinion, their teachers are real teachers who will have a long uh, impact on their lives. And the idea that uh, people who teach five-year-olds or four-year-olds are doing less important work than people who teach six-year-olds strikes me as frankly ludicrous. Yes, I agree. And I've been thinking a lot about the way that we decide culturally what jobs are valuable and not valuable and by extension what lives are valuable and not valuable. And the more I think about it, the more it angers me uh, because it it seems it seems often like the the jobs that we uh that we praise the least are the ones that have uh the most impact on individual people and the ones that we praise the most are the ones that have like small impacts on large numbers of people but i think that like the work that we do to care for each other is the most vital and most human work that we do and i think that like but 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 figuring out how to like internalize that in a world where you know maybe you're getting signals that that isn't the case um is difficult so i just want to say that you are doing great work and internalizing that is a process but the more you do it the better the more you uh you know know that you are doing a great job uh, you are do- being the best that you can be at the job at the work that you're doing and uh and the people that you care for and the parents of the people that you care for will be the beneficiaries of you being great at what you're doing and you are great and thank you yeah it can be difficult to do that without outside affirmation and unfortunately the main way that people assign value to work is the salary or mm-hmm. hourly pay of that work yeah. which Uh, I totally agree with you, Hank, is a huge mistake because there are lots of impacts that you can have on people's lives that are not well measured by the free market. Um, And especially with someone like Andrea, who says that she feels like she's able to afford her lifestyle in the work that she does, you know, then the work itself needs, you know, needs to be as valuable to her as possible. And I think that taking care of kids and helping them learn and getting them excited about the world around them is incredibly important work. All right, John, I've got another question, if you're ready for that. I'm ready. Bring it. Madison asks, important question here, Dear Hank and John, I've lived my 22.5 years believing that farts are completely harmless. This was until my partner Mm -hmm. called an exceptionally audible and fragrant fart of mine an air poop. 
and it got me thinking. Mm-hmm. How much should I worry about aerosolized fecal matter impacting our health? Is there a limit I should be aware of, or is my partner just absurd? I feel ridiculous asking this as I'm a college graduate, and I feel as though I should know better. Well, um, I am not a scientist, but I am someone who is deeply afraid of fecal contamination. And? And even so, (laughs) I do not think you should worry about this quote-unquote air poop, because in all likelihood, you have two layers between you and the air poop, your underwear and whatever shorts you are wearing. (laughs) What if you're in the bath? Well, then you have have a, a, a water protective layer. That's why I don't take showers. <laughs> you need the water barrier, Hank. Everybody knows that. Um, well, uh, John, I have a question for you. Yes. Do you do you think there's ever been a room in human history that contained enough fart to be dangerous? <laughs> Probably not. I, I just think that this is a... Um, you know what just occurred to me, Hank? Yeah. It's true that we talk about death a lot on this podcast, <laughs> but we might talk about poop more. It's possible. We haven't talked about death a single time this episode, and poop has come up at least twice. Yeah, I've been thinking about it. Death, I mean, but also poop. They're not totally unrelated. You know that dead bodies can poop. Great. That's great. Thank you for that. <laughs> I feel that my life has gotten better for, for knowing that. Uh, back back in the beginning of the space, uh, the space program, they uh, worried that uh, humans would create enough hydrogen and methane to... Uh, to sort of increase the likelihood of there being fires in space missions, but that turned out to not be too much of a concern. Um, you know, there are so there are toxic compounds in our poop. Methane is somewhat toxic, uh, but not nearly as toxic as hydrogen sulfide, which is also in our poop. Our poop, our farts, uh, and in our poop. Uh, but hydrogen sulfide is a very dangerous compound, even in very low quantities. We can smell it very easily, which is why if you smell a fart that smells really rotten eggy, that means there's probably a small amount of hydrogen sulfide in there. But we don't, it, it, it would be impossible to have enough hydrogen sulfide in a fart to cause a toxic reaction without you just running as fast as you can away, which does make me a little concerned about astronauts because there's nowhere you can run to. And they do have to have air scrubbers to, uh, to purify the air and to sort of always be circulating new air into the into the space station because it can get stinky in there. Uh, but it would be way more stinky it would be way it would be it would be before it got dangerous it would be so stinky that anybody would just would run away anyway um but you should you don't have to worry about like the traditional dangers of poop which is the bacteria which are way too large to be aerosolized um and now you know and knowing is half the battle john i'm really proud of myself for having talked this long about poop farts air poop I mean, you just you just kept going. Um, you're clearly trying to make this another episode of the podcast where you talk more than I do. Madison, long story short, you have nothing to worry about. Your partner uh, is totally wrong about air poop. Let's move on to another question. This one is from Alice, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been watching Vlogbrothers since I was in middle school, and I'm now finishing my second year at UC San Diego. Wow. Thank you uh, for sticking with us all those years, Alice. I want to get some dubious advice about decreasing world suck. I'm a global health major, and I often struggle with how to make an impact when I feel like I'm unequipped to be useful to people in need. How do you recommend approaching helping in a way that is respectful and actually useful? And also, how do you pick one problem in health or in other fields to work on when it seems there are so many ways to improve the world at so many levels and in so many disciplines? I think that's a great question, Hank. And um, the first thing that I would say, and this is a mistake that I feel like many of us uh, make in the rich world uh, that we've been making for a long time when it comes to addressing uh, poverty and global health, uh, which is uh, that I think it's incredibly important to listen, uh, to listen to what people, uh, you know, people living in poor communities know much, much more about the health problems in their communities than we do. And when we come in and try to establish our ideas about health and our solutions, a lot of times that becomes either ineffective or counterproductive. 
Yeah, uh, and I, John knows a lot more about this sort of thing than I than I do. Um, the other thing I'd say is when you're trying to pick, I, I feel like picking things can be very difficult when you're trying to decide what kind of work you're gonna do and you have a lot of options. Sometimes the best thing is just to pick. Uh, you're doing good work no matter what. Um, and it, I find that oftentimes it can it can be a little paralyzing to have too many choices and I solve that problem by not choosing and basically doing a mental dart throw. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad idea actually. I, I also find like multiple choices to be very overwhelming. Uh, so listen to people around you, the problems that they find interesting, the problems that they think um, are solvable. Or, and then I think listen to people in the communities you want to help about what they think their biggest problems are um, and go from there. But I am also, I, but I do agree that in general, it's good to just uh, kind of get started. And then you learn as you go along and you go down many wrong paths and you have many uh, wrong directions. But uh, at least you're on the path, you know? Absolutely. We have another question. This is from Puck from the Netherlands. Dear Hank and John, my sister just sent me an adorable DFTBA French llama toy thingy, but I've only been a nerd fighter for about a year. So my question is, where did this French llama come from? I tried looking for the video where you explain it, but y'all have made too many videos. This is a positive thing. I love your videos. So can you please explain the story of the llama before me and my sister buy them? Thank you. You are great. Thanks for giving us an opportunity to talk about our new llama toy. <laughs> Puck, you know how to ensure that your question gets on the podcast. Our new llama toy is available now at dftba.com. Along with lots of Dear Hank and John merchandise and other things, activewear, bobbleheads, lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. This episode is also brought to you by Air Poop. Whether it's coming from the butt of a bird and falling into your eyeball because you were looking to the sky for omens or flying out of your butt at maximum speed, air poop, always there to be good luck, maybe. <laughs> I feel like I did a really good job with that one, John. It wasn't bad. Today's podcast is also brought to you by water. Water, an unappreciated accompaniment to food. Ugh. Today's podcast is additionally brought to you by your top eight on MySpace. Check it before you wreck it. <laughs> That's terrible. I don't, that isn't funny and it didn't make any sense. <laughs> so, well, although I guess if it isn't funny, why am I laughing? Um, uh, and, and by it, I mean your relationship with your brother who is not in your top eight on MySpace. <laughs> there. That, that still isn't funny, but I'm still laughing. <laughs> and lastly, today's podcast is brought to you by Death. Death, it hasn't been mentioned on today's podcast, so I thought I should squeeze it in here. So listen, your toilet is massively gross, like it's grosser than you think. In fact, bacteria and viruses can hang around in the toilet bowl even after multiple flushes. And I recently found the easiest way to clean my toilet, Blue Land's Sustainable Toilet Cleaner Tablets. Just drop, watch it fizz, brush, and flush. It is truly that simple. No more scrubbing for hours. Plus, the tablets are plastic-free. Blue Land is on a mission to eliminate single-use plastic by reinventing cleaning essentials to be better for you and for the planet with the same powerful clean that you're used to. Blue Land products are effective and affordable, and their toilet tablets are proven to work on a wide range of toilet stains, including rust, mineral deposits, lime scale, and hard water. And you can even get more savings by buying refills in bulk or setting up a subscription. Blue Land has a special offer for our listeners. Right now, you can get 15% off your first order by going to blueland.com slash dearhank. You won't want to miss this blueland.com slash dearhank for 15% off. That's blueland.com slash dearhank to get 15% off. Uh, yes, death, of course. Do we want to get back to the llama question? Because we got a little distracted, John. Yes. Uh, so the story of French the llama, uh, I, I, it's so complicated that I can't even really tell it. Maybe Hank can tell it, but I don't really remember it. It was invented by uh, Kristen, 
um, who is a longtime nerd fighter during the Project for Awesome in either 2007 or 2008. And basically, it is an exclamation of joy, like French, the llama, AFC Wimbledon are a third tier English football team would be an example of how to use French, the llama. Um, and over the years, uh, I have been trying to make it into a thing, like making it into a, an expression that lots of people use the way that uh, the character that one character did with Fetch in the movie Mean Girls. And just like Fetch, it hasn't happened yet, but I still believe that it might happen. Still working on it. Uh, yeah. Pro- a problem with French the Llama is that its internet uh, shortening, FTL, uh, already has several different meanings, including for the lose, which is the opposite of for the win, and uh, faster than light, which is uh, more of a science fiction abbreviation than a internet one. Uh, but, but... I'm I am supportive of John's quest, even if I don't personally share it. Hmm. No, I appreciate that. So yeah, you can go to dftb.com, get lots of good things, including uh, those llama toys, if you are interested. Hank, let's answer a couple more questions before we get to the all important news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. This question comes from Kate, who writes, "Dear John and Hank, my mother is." interesting. I love to follow the rules. Like one day about two years ago, we were on a vacation up in the mountains of North Carolina and we came across an abandoned theme park of Dorothy and the Wizard of Oz. There was a fence around it and on the gate a no trespassing sign. So of course I wanted to follow this, but my mother insisted we break in and see what it was like. It ended up being a very fond memory. My question is, do you think it was wrong that we broke in? I still feel guilty over it, but the gate wasn't even locked and other people were wandering around the abandoned park (laughs) hank what do you think on this one i am delighted that that this is this is the interaction that the the mother is like let's break some rules and the the child is like we must follow the rules it used to be the opposite i feel like uh i i think that it's fine to break the rules sometimes especially if the gate isn't locked they maybe are putting up the no trespassing sign purely as a way to you know, eliminate any liability to say, we said don't go in, and they went in, and then they got hit by a thing that fell out of a tree. Uh, but... Bird poop. It may have just been bird poop. Very dangerous bird poop. I It is if it gets in your eye. I, <laughs> I, I think it's great. I, I... It sounds fun to me. I did just recently, uh, you know, enter a no trespassing area for for the purposes of urban exploring myself. And I know that you have done that as well, John. Yeah. Where did you go? Uh, it was not so much urban exploring as uh, as abandoned uh, office park in the desert exploring. Mm. It's called the Domes in Arizona. And it was this this incompleted un- like a weird office building that some tech company tried to create but then it never got moved into and now it's just these weird space like structures that are very cool and off the highway and I really enjoyed visiting them you can see a little bit of it in my in my second to most recent Vlogbrothers video. Yeah, I uh, I also enjoy urban exploring, although I am somewhat troubled by the ethics of it and try to remain on the right side of the ethics of it whenever possible. I did break into an abandoned theme park in Germany once, and it was awesome. Uh, it was so <laughs> great. It wasn't really breaking in. It was a similar situation where I just opened an unlocked gate. Um, but it was very, very cool. And I ended up making the 999th Vlogbrothers video there. So we're probably the wrong people to consult on this particular topic because we're probably more like your mom. But in any case, I just don't think that you should feel guilty about it. I think you've just got to let it go and enjoy the fond part of the memories. And then, you know, the next time you have a chance to break into an abandoned theme park, you'll have to make that decision anew. Yeah. I don't know. Like, John and I have, I think, different perspectives on rule breaking. Um, I generally tend to think it's okay as long as you're not hurting anybody or yourself. Uh, Well... Mm, I mean, I like I like rules. There, yeah, there's a certain like uh, like like societal structure that giving sanctity to the rules yeah. creates, um, and 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 that that is a, a sort of greater good. Yeah, and that's sort of John. I, I feel like that's your perspective, John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm in favor of preserving uh, the rule of law, and I think paying attention to the rules does that, even when the rules are maybe not the best rules. 
Uh, that said, there are obviously rules that need to change, and you know, civil disobedience, breaking those rules on purpose, is a very important strategy for for changing them. Uh, so I don't want to, you know, do away with all rule breaking. I just think, in general, I do. I am very fond of structure and order. <laughs> yes, says says the person who is uh, who has benefited greatly from the current structure and order. No, admittedly, but I was more thinking about just like personally, like uh, people with people with OCD tend to uh, have or create very structured lives. I wasn't thinking about like the 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 larger systems of structure, which are in many cases profoundly unjust. Um, and I do try to be aware of that. Hank, let's get to one more question. All right. This one's from Phil who asks, Dear Hank and John, about a year ago, I opened my kitchen drawer to take out the can opener and open a can of soup. But when I held it in my hand to open the can, it felt all wrong. I looked at it questioningly. And while it superficially looked like the same can opener, there were elements of it that I didn't recognize. The handle was slightly of the wrong shape. The weight was a couple of ounces off and it was more stiff to use. I mentioned this to my wife and she maintains that it is the same can opener we've always had. I love my wife and I trust her not to lie to me about the existential state of our kitchen implements. But is it more likely that she bought a new can opener and didn't tell me or that I am now not residing in the same universe as the can opener I have used for much of my adult life? How can I tell? Phil. Phil. I'm going to tell you the God's honest truth about this. You have to let it go. (laughs) If you don't let it go, it will take over your life it will become the consuming question of your life and on your deathbed you will look up at whomever you are dying in the presence of which will likely not be your wife because she will have left you because this thing is going to become so consuming in your life and you will say it wasn't the same can opener (laughs) and then you will be just as dead as you would always have been Is it possible that you live in a multiverse that was like twisted around this one particular can opener? Yes. Is it likely? Yes. But you have to let it go or it's going to consume you. Oh, man. I just I I want to know what relationship Phil has with his wife that he's like, but you were lying to me about the can opener. Why would she lie? I trust my spouse, but she has been known to lie about replacing kitchen implements. (laughs) (laughs) I do trust her very much, but I, uh, I, I think someone broke into your house and swapped out can openers. Yeah, I think it's totally possible that you had. That's maybe what you should just decide happened just for your own just for your own ability to navigate the universe as if it were a static thing. Um, you need to decide that somebody broke into your house, switched out the can openers to freak you out. And that's the way it went down. Um, I, ha- I had a related thing happen to me once, Hank, where I went out into the parking lot of my apartment building in Chicago and my car wasn't there. Uh, and so I called the police, as you do when your car has been stolen. And uh, the police uh, called me back and they said, uh, your car is half a block away. You just forgot where you left it. <laughs> this happens all the time. And I was like, no, no, I didn't. I parked in the parking lot. I am quite positive. There's no reason why I wouldn't have parked in the parking lot. But there indeed was my car half a block away. And uh, I have, well, obviously I haven't let it go, but I've been trying to let it go for the last 15 years because the other possibilities are all unacceptable to me. Uh, I'm going to tell you just a little story before we get to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon, which is related. I once had my bike stolen and I was uh, frustrated and, uh, you know, I got a new bike and just dealt with it. And and I didn't even call the cops because it wasn't a nice bike or anything. And then later downtown, I saw my bike uh, locked to a bike rack with my lock. Wow. And I unlocked it using my code and biked it away because indeed my bike had not been stolen. I had just forgotten that I left it. (laughs) Or 
or that is the moment that you disconnected from the universe that you had always known up until that moment. One of those two things happened. Possibly. Possibly. One of those two things happened. Before we get any further down this rabbit hole, I'm going to need to move on to the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. Hank, what is the news from Mars? Well, John, as you may remember, back in early days of the podcast, we tried to figure out how much it would cost to get AFC Wimbledon and a competing team. Uh, let's just say Stevenage uh, to Mars. So, <laughs> just kidding. We don't play Stevenage next season. <laughs> All right. Uh, then one of the other sports teams to Mars to play a game on the surface of Mars. Uh, now, taking out of of consideration the fact that you would need to build an airtight stadium and f- food and everything, uh, we did some calculations, tried to figure it out. We no longer have to do those calculations, John, because SpaceX has just released a deal, uh, a term sheet, basically, just a cost, like basically like just a just a, you know, a, a list of costs that tell you how much it costs to send things to places. And you can send things to Mars for as little as $62 million. All you have to do is give $62 million to SpaceX and they can send up to 8,860 pounds of stuff to Mars. If you want to send up to 29,000 pounds of stuff to Mars, that will only cost you $90 million. It's a bargain bargain rate uh, that, that requires the Falcon Heavy rocket instead of the Falcon 9 rocket. And yeah, so I think with, with 29,000 pounds, 30 tons of stuff, we could definitely get uh, two football teams to Mars, and that's a mere $90 million, John. That's all. Well, it's very rare that I get to correct you about something, but 29,000 pounds is not 30 tons. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> it's true, though. We could get two teams uh, with 14,000, with with 14.5 tons. I'm pretty sure that we could get two teams to Mars unless they were all composed of Autobio Akinfenwa. <laughs> then unfortunately it would be impossible yes uh the craziest moment of of the league two playoff final was uh Akinfenwa came on in about the 75th minute he just causes so many problems for teams that are trying to figure out how to defend him and there was this crazy moment right at the beginning of stoppage time where Akinfenwa was just standing still and some and he was about to uh, the ball was passed to him and so someone ran toward him in an attempt to win the ball they ran into Akinfenwa and they were knocked unconscious oh but- my god Akin Fenwa didn't do anything like he just all he did was stand and he was called for a foul and he was like, what did I do? And then he looked down and he was like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. But all I did was stand um, <laughs> and like a stretcher had to come on and stretcher off this poor soul from Plymouth who'd made the terrible mistake of running into a space currently occupied by Autobio Akin Fenwa. Um, it was just, it was an amazing moment. And it brings me to the news from AFC Wimbledon. Very, very sad news, Hank. There's the, the immensely good news that Wimbledon, in a stunning turn of events, are going from having the smallest stadium in League Two to having the smallest stadium in League One. Um, <laughs> but along the way, uh, uh, three players have been released by AFC Wimbledon. Um, and this is a weird thing that happens in football. In fact, like in the uh, in the interview immediately after the game, uh, Autobiok and Fenwa hilariously and beautifully said, I'm going to be released tomorrow. So any managers who are interested in my services, please hit me up on WhatsApp. (laughs) 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 Um, He's amazing. Uh, He hugged the manager, Neil Ardley, and said, can you believe this guy is releasing me? Um, But it's true. Uh, AFC Wimbledon will be playing in the third tier without the services of Autobio Akinfenwa. Um, Callum Kennedy, who's been immense uh, for Wimbledon, was also... um, uh, was also released, uh, it, which it's a difficult, you know, it's a difficult thing. It, it happens after every season, I guess, but um, it just makes me, uh, 
Uh, make you know it's 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 sad in the wake of something like this. That said, also Sean Rigg um, has has been released as well. Uh, that said, you know they do this as quickly after the end of the season as possible to give those people uh, hopefully plenty of time to find jobs. And I know that I will follow uh, all three of those players, but especially Akin Fenwa uh, wherever they go from here because uh, they've just been such an important part of this amazing AFC Wimbledon season. And in Akin Fenwa's case, I mean really. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that Wimbledon would have been promoted without him. So he's an amazing player, but uh, he's moving on to other opportunities. Why did they release him? I don't understand how well how it works. Uh, because he is he's mostly played as a substitute, and I think you know he's at a point in his career where he wants to be playing for for full games. And uh, you know, Lyle Taylor and Tom Elliott are have just been you know sort of preferred by the manager over the last. Uh, season and a half. So I think, you know, it's probably the right thing for him as well, but it's just, it's inherently difficult. Um, it's just part of, it's part of soccer, I guess. But I, I mean, that guy is going to be a legend at Wimbledon for as long as people are uh, singing songs at, at AFC Wimbledon, they'll be singing about Akin Fenwa. So uh, that's the news. But the good news is that uh, we are not playing Stevenage next season. Instead, we're playing teams like Bolton Wanderers, Swindon Town, and, of course, most astonishingly, the franchise currently playing in Milton Keynes, Hank. Uh, The team that that moved to Milton Keynes uh, will be playing AFC Wimbledon. They'll be in the same league next season. Take that! Which I think says everything that needs to be said about whether it was in the wider interests of football to have a team in Wimbledon. The English FA in 2002 said that it wasn't. Uh, In 2017, I think we will be able to agree that it was. All right, John, we have a couple of quick comments from people. Many people had comments about floppy disks. Sophie said that her dad works at a newspaper. When the FBI gives them uh, data, they give it to them on floppy disks. And Jenna also works at a law firm in New Zealand and says that business people sometimes prefer floppy disks because they're less likely to get malware on them. And Martino has a brother who once showed a middle school middle school students a floppy disk and they thought that he had 3D printed a save icon. Also, Alex writes, Dear John and Hank, my name is Ryan. In the most recent podcast, Hank said this episode is brought to you by Floppy Disks. You may want to know that your 54.69 megabyte podcast would be brought to you by 38 3.5 inch <laughs> floppy disks. Oh, man. I remember those days when you used to have to have like seven floppy disks to play one one game of King's Quest or whatever. I remember it as well. Uh, thank you for, uh, for joining me on this podcast, John. What did we learn today? Well, we learned never to look at the sky, no matter what the circumstances. We learned that gravy boats uh, sail on the ocean of your dining room table. We learned to delete your old social media profiles quickly before you forget the password. And we learned that preschool teachers are awesome. Well, we already knew that, but I guess we relearned it. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode of Dear Hank and John. It's a pleasure, as always, to have you listening to our dumb voices. If you want to support our podcast again, you can go to Patreon, patreon.com slash Dear Hank and John. You can also find lots of cool stuff there. I think we're going to put Molly Lewis's song about MySpace up there, as well as links to our MySpace profiles so that you can live what our lives were like back in 2006. This podcast is edited by Nicholas Jenkins. Our intern is Claudia Morales. We get lots of help with questions from Rosiana Hulse Rojas. Our theme music is by Gunnarola. And as we say in our hometown, don't don't forget forget to to be be awesome. awesome.